0: Welcome to 4.0 to Pro, the pickleball podcast that focuses on a single shot, tip, or strategy to improve your pickleball game with every single pocket-sized episode. Our goal is to make you better on the court every time you hear our voices. And now your hosts, 4.0 something, Michael O'Neill, and USA Pickleball National Silver Medalist, Senior Pro, Scott Fliegelman.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of 4.0 to Pro, your pocket-sized pickleball podcast, where we teach you a single shot of strategy every single episode. I'm Michael O'Neill here in sunny Long Beach, California, joined by my good pal, Mr. Scott Flegelman there in Boulder, Colorado. Scott Flegelman, right now, today, is our one-year anniversary of doing this show. So welcome to episode, I guess it's 53,
0: but our one-year anniversary, sir. Who would have thunk? <laughs> Feels pretty awesome. That's 53 more podcasts than I'd ever done before. So thank you for (laughs) for bringing me into this medium. Well, and I think it's been fun. Takeaways from your first year as a professional podcaster. I believe our listeners know, but let me make sure that they do, that I'm super grateful for all of the engineering and production and leadership work that you do. I work throughout the week on concepts and ideas and observations of play. I'm on court all the time, and I'm definitely giving a lot of thought to that. But this show would not come to fruition without all the work you do behind the scenes. So thank you, brother. Thanks, man. That's very kind of you to say. I'm curious about, and this isn't
1: the theme of this show, which is going to be a post tournament breakdown, but we're going to talk about that in a second, although this thought just popped into my head. I'm curious about like, as you're on court now, I imagine prior to a year ago, you weren't going through the process and thinking, oh, this would be a really good concept for the show. And now do you find yourself whittling down these ideas as you're coming up with these concepts going, oh, actually, this would really help the pickleball community as a whole. I'm going to really put some thought into this.
0: I love the way you asked the question. I'm going to surprise you a little bit with where I'm going to take my answer. Absolutely, yes to your question, I love being able to have an outlet to be able to share some observations and thoughts I have on the court with a much larger audience than just my lesson or my clinic. But I'm going to take it in reverse for a second, and maybe we'll talk more about it with our tournament breakdown, is the process of thinking acutely about pickleball so much at the 4-0 to pro level, I believe was helpful to me in my tournament last week. It's the opposite direction that, as we'll talk about I do not get a chance to practice pickleball as much as I would like. I'm not doing the exact preparation that I would have in mind or would coach students to do. But I do think there is value in the mental imagery that I put in to advance pickleball on a daily basis and i relied on some of that to help get me through my tournament last weekend.
1: There's really something about the distilling of this information into these pocket-sized chunks, and i did the same thing. I even found myself referring to older episodes so that i had these ideas in my mind as i was playing. And it was really interesting because i don't know who else does this, like even in the within the pickleball podcasting community. We're so visual in that medium, like so many channels are on YouTube, that because we have to create this theater of the mind, it really does help when you're standing behind the baseline about to start a point, having this visualization of how the point's going to play out. It's really cool. And yeah, I can totally see how it would shift your perspective as you were working with students in reverse. It's actually a really cool concept.
0: On Singles Day, I had about an hour break as I was awaiting the winner's bracket final, and I just found uh, a shady, grassy area, laid a towel down and relaxed, and and I went and listened to a show also that I thought was going to be relevant to the match that I was getting ready to play. So even though it was my voice and your voice, it seemed like a soothing and productive way to spend my time and relaxing as I got ready for that match.
1: Well, that is a fantastic lead-in. We just did the Senior Pro Tour, which is Matthias Johansson's brainchild. Very often the 50 plus pros from PPA and APP didn't have the greatest experience. So Matthias Johansson, who could best be described as the Ben Johns of senior pro pickleball, he's as dominant in that role as Ben Johns is in the regular pro ranks of pickleball in singles in particular, decided to start his own tour where those 50 plus pros maybe felt a little more catered to, maybe a little more organized and had an event that they really could all congregate and get the highest level of play. And I think he's done a great job. I think that that tournament we just played, which was in Tustin, California, really had the best of the best of that senior pro bracket. It was a who's who of senior pro players in singles and up. And you had a very different experience than I did. And we'll talk about that. But dude, you did so unbelievably well, especially for not having any practice time. And you probably had one of the biggest compliments you could have, which was... Matias Johansson himself, this dominant player saying, I don't want to face you when you've practiced because you were so good when you didn't practice that you're going to be a completely dominant player, I think, when you actually do get some time to put into it as Boulder Pickleball calms down a little bit and you get a little more into rhythm. So congratulations on a wonderful tournament. And I know you were digging deep physically and mentally to get through both of those days.
0: Thank you, buddy. I, I appreciate that. and I do look forward to sharing what I did bring to the table last weekend. I think will be relevant to our time-challenged listeners out there. But let me speak briefly and accentuate what you said about what an excellent tournament it was. Chico, the tournament director, Matias, who who puts together the tour, Dave Furman as well, who's involved. We had the chance to feel special. We were the only event that was going on. I I do think the APP does a very nice job for the senior pros. They're working hard to provide a good product, but they also have another 800 to 1,000 tournament players every weekend to deal with. So I don't expect... Expect them to do as good a job. So it felt special. The Tustin Hills Racquet Club was just a gorgeous piece of property. I hope they're able to keep it a racquet and pickleball facility because that property's got to be worth a ton of money. So it felt special. It was super fun. The weather was great. I was relaxed and I had a great time. And I think that helped some of my results as well.
1: Well, let's dig into it. We had very different experiences. I had a very similar situation that I did in my first senior pro tournament in San Clemente, which was losing the first round, then losing in the consolation bracket. And I came out with a slightly different feeling this time. I will say that one of the biggest challenges in doubles pickleball is finding a partner that you can really sync with and getting comfortable knowing where they're going to be on court and knowing what kind of shots they're going to hit. And so I'd only met my partner the day before. We'd had a couple of rec games the day before and did okay. But I could tell even then that we were going to need a little bit more work to sync up with our playing styles. So I walked into that doubles day going, all right, we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll do the best we can. And you know, the lessons learned from that are I need to take advantage of my opportunities a little more when I get them. And I need to be more consistent. Bottom line, I need to be more consistent with my shots. So that when I am called upon, I hit the right shot at the right time into the right place. And so I walked out of there going, all right, I could have done that much better. It was a bit of a bummer because we played at the exact same times, both for singles and doubles. I was really hoping to have like a bit of a coach on the sidelines. I didn't really get a chance to do that. You saw like a couple of points in doubles. And I'm curious if you had any thoughts watching the three points you got to see of our doubles match.
0: Yeah, I did get a chance to watch a little bit and bummer it wasn't more and I wasn't able to offer more coaching advice credit to you for making the effort driving the day before to meet up with your partner to try to get acclimated to each other as best you could I think you took away an appropriate conclusion that your combined skills and that's what you get in doubles combined I do think of the two players you had a much higher level of offensive ability and if you had it to do over again I want to challenge something that you just said about consistency is you were getting limited touch And I think you were going to need to value and take advantage of each of the touches that you had. It doesn't mean that you attack every ball, but consistency may not have been what I'd be putting in your head as much as what can you do to instigate? What can you do to set up your partner? What can you do to set up yourself? Because otherwise left to your partner who had less offensive upside than you, it was going to be tough, including identifying that the other guys combined were probably better and you were going to need to dictate the action and I'd be looking at you to stir the pot and see what you could do and and either go down swinging or go down in flames. One of those two.
1: When I looked back, especially on the consolation game that I overplayed the chances that I got. So I had recognized that from the first game. I think I tried too hard. On the second, just to make something happen, but it was so short-lived that it. I think we lost fifteen to one in the consolation round. So it was kind of like, all right, those guys were, were really good. They were really good, and they did well in the tournament. They they went further. They went a few rounds in, and that's what's going to happen. I mean, sometimes you just it's the luck of the draw, literally. And even my consolation round in singles, which we'll get into, the guy was six six. It was like, oh wow, this is a whole different story to play against a guy that's this long and even crisp passing shots aren't working against this dude. So then what happens, you know? It's a whole different strategy when you play with someone so big and long in singles. He was the tallest player on the court at the tournament. That's another whole story. And in fact, I brought up to you before the tournament, we need to do a show on how to play guys that are super tall and what maybe some of their vulnerabilities are, because I don't know them. Clearly, I don't know them.
0: Like, yeah, sorry we didn't get a chance to do that before the show, <laughs> before the tournament. Let's,
1: let's get into your tournament play. You were also paired with a, a blind date partner. This guy was very good, uh, a little fiery on court which, you know, is fine. And I found watching you that I saw both roles, which was really interesting. You guys didn't necessarily key in on left side, right side for the entire thing. I saw you guys switching back and forth every once in a while. You taking the alpha role, he taking the alpha role. And I'm curious about your mindset going through it. What is the feeling out process at that level for you as one of the highest level pros at the event? Where where does your ego go when you're paired with a brand new partner who you don't know very well and they don't know you very well?
0: I had the pleasure of playing for the first time. With Patrick Cote from Phoenix, originally from Quebec, Canada. Uh, very good player. And I feel like one of the things that we did really well together, and I think it's one of the things I do best, is adapt be a chameleon, be a verbal partner. What can we do in advance? What can we do during the day to best sync up and uh, produce our best play on court? We had identified in advance that Pat likes the right side. He's got a particularly powerful backhand counter, really good defensive player, and prefers the right side. I generally prefer the left. I would say we did that about 60% of the time, but we didn't want to be super predictable either. And as we get on a negative run, we were willing to switch things up put me on the right, put him on the left, play straight up. I think we supported each other well throughout the day. I had been given a little bit of a heads up that, that Patrick could be, could be fiery, could be negative. I was a little concerned and I shouldn't have been that that might be in my direction, but it was not. It was just self-critical. So I took the role of making sure that he knew that I was happy to be out there with him. I used the words I trust you a lot. I gave him the feedback that he needed to relax and play his game. He knew I'm higher rated than him. I've been more successful on the the Senior Pro Tour. He's new to the Senior Pro Tour. He's just 50. I didn't want him to feel nervous. I wanted him to feel relaxed and play his best. And so those were the words and the body language that I tried to offer him. And we had several great matches. We went down. We lost our first one in just a heck of a match to a couple of of Denver guys, Chad and Todd, that played really well. It was an excellent match. But then Patrick and I rebounded really well and made a nice run in the bottom bracket. And I think we kept our heads together. And I think we saw close to our best pickleball.
1: Did you have instances during that time where things got a little chippy, where you were down and things weren't working and you had to somehow fight your way back? I'm curious about the inner dialogue of you guys when things weren't going well, like maybe game three in that first match, you were still just trying to get to know each other. It was really your first match. You hadn't settled in yet. What happens in that instance when you're you're down and you're not doing as well as you'd like to do? What are those conversations like?
0: I had been given a heads up that he could be negative or could be fiery, and I was actually really pleased to know that was not in my direction. I didn't have to defend myself in any way. So in our timeouts, or our quick convos in between rallies, they were highly tactical and strategic, and or just pumping each other up and giving each other the confidence to relax and play our game. So no, it didn't get chippy at all between us. It was was stressful, for sure. We really wanted to win our first match together, but we ran up against a really tough team who played really well. I- I'm proud of us for bouncing back. We easily could have gone 0-2 and, and be done, but now, having played a tournament together, I consider it a success, and I would definitely play with them again. You won how many matches in the back to Three. So you were definitely competitive
1: and in it in the long run, for sure. And I saw some of them. I, I had a chance because my matches were very fast. I had a chance to sit and watch a couple of your matches, and it's funny, you guys. We listen to Scott week to week on this show, but he really does practice what he preached. He does all the things that we talk about. And by the way, not infallible. You know, you miss some shots, you make some shots that you shouldn't, they're directed the wrong way. And I can instantly see your face when you hit that ball and you're like, why did I just do that? That was not what I was supposed to do. So it's not like it's this Terminator robot that's on the court. It's a very fluid concept. I think as we go through these games, where you get in your head, you get out of your head, you remember things after the fact. In fact, on my way home, Scott, from that first day, having lost in doubles, one of the strategies that the first team employed against us was the third shot, no matter what, when they were serving, their third shot was getting driven at my partner. I mean, they fired it at him. And that was, I bet you we lost 15 points on that. And it didn't dawn on me until after the match, on the way home, oh, wait a second we should have switched it up like you talked about in that mixed doubles return where they didn't know who was going to be on what side. We should have done that. I didn't think about it at the time. That's an advanced strategy. What I mean by that, you guys, is once they've served and we've returned the ball, well, we can go to wherever we want. So if we had switched quickly sides and they were already teeing up the third shot drive at my teammate, well, I might've been able to step in there and hit a nice volley back instead of getting nailed by the ball. And I didn't think about it until afterwards. So that's one of those things that we could have done to counter on site, but I just didn't have that wherewithal, Scott, to call that timeout and say, hey, here's what's happening. Here's what we should try. It just didn't dawn on me. And that's just, I think, experience, experience, experience is what that would probably dictate, don't you think?
0: I do, and, and I want to credit you. It's now been several days since the tournament. You were appropriately bummed and down about the tournament, and I wanted to give you that space for sure. But I've also shared with you that if we can't come out of these events, even if it's 0-2, with some lessons learned, something that you're going to bring with you to the next tournament, then we we have no business playing or paying for these tournaments. So, great that you were able to come back. And that could have been you, happened to be your partner in that case, that they found a a weakness in his armor and they were exploiting it. But you are an advanced student of the game and kicking yourself now for not making that adjustment on the fly. But I'll bet you the next time you see that, you're going to make that adjustment after one or two points.
1: Yeah, either way, if I'm the one getting shelled, or my teammate is getting shelled, I will at least have a strategy around it. And I just for whatever reason, I think, and this kind of dovetails into the singles conversation. We can also get into your mix where you did really, really well. Even in the singles conversation, it's like the brain to me is right now my biggest competitor. Because when I look at the actual skills, the actual shots, nobody brought anything to the table that we didn't possess. But strategically, well, certainly in singles, and I'll tell you this now, my first singles in San Clemente was harried and weird. I had literally 90 seconds to warm up i was on center court with a ref it was like a totally crazy thing i was not prepared this one i had plenty of time to warm up i felt really good and i was ahead in both of my first round games uh first four nothing and then eight to three against a good opponent who did well advanced a couple of rounds after we played and someone i had actually played before and I would tell you that if we were playing rec and we played 10 games, I'd probably win six or seven of them, I think in real life. But I kept saying, go home with the date you brung. I just kept repeating that to myself. How did I get to eight to three? Why am I shifting that strategy or doing something different when I've already advanced eight to three and I was relaxed? There's something about those last three points. There's something about how tight you can get. And I even watched you guys in doubles you were up like 10 to seven or something or 10 to four on one of the matches. And I just watched that other team come back and come back and come back. And pretty soon it was like 10, 10. And I was like, man, it is so hard to close that last point when the first points of the game are so easy. They come so easily. You're so relaxed with your strategy. You got, oh, I got plenty of time to do this, but I do find myself, I think, getting tighter and tighter and tighter as the game goes. And that eye of the tiger, man, that that closing mentality is something that I still need to work on. And I think it just ends up being reps. I think the stakes of tournament play are so much higher, especially at this senior pro level where it's it's expensive. You know, it's a $400 tournament. So you want to do well. You want to try to earn your money back at some point, but or at least make a showing. So for me, my goal in this tournament was to, to win a couple of matches, certainly in singles, which I do feel like I have the chops for. Doubles, I think, is going to require the right... My right partner and and syncing up with them and, and doing well because at the highest level of this tournament, everyone who won or was a real player at the end of this tournament, they had played 50 tournaments, maybe together. Or 100, but they had tons of experience. So for people that are like me that are on the shorter end of the food chain, it's just reps. And I felt like doubles. Ah, man, maybe I'm not there yet. And I was like, maybe I shouldn't even try for this NPL thing. And then I thought, wait a second, it's the chops. It's the chops and it's being in that environment of pressure that I think is going to make all the difference. So I sort of talked myself out of it and talked myself back into it again in some ways.
0: Yeah. And, and I'm glad you did that because it, it's disappointing to go 0 and 2. And so you don't want to have to do that. All that often. I do think the first round singles match that you had was against a more experienced player. I've seen him on the Senior Pro Tour before, and that may have been the difference for you to be able to close that match out. You now have another tournament's worth of experience to bring with you to the NPL combine. You'll then have the NPL Combine experience, which will be great experience playing with tons of players of similar level. Maybe some are going to be better, maybe some not as good. So you're just you're just building yourself a foundation to get to that next level. And a bunch of our listeners are in the same boat.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing. I, I think I was really disenchanted, you guys, from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of, of this week. Yes, you were. Yes. <laughs> I'm really disenchanted for the first few days, especially in singles, because you got no one to blame but yourself in that respect. It's just you. I know not a lot of you guys play singles, but some of you do. And there is something about that mentality in singles that uh, Matias even says it's one of the most difficult sports mentally because it's really easy for your opponent to get a four or five, six point run in singles. And all of a sudden you're like, have I ever played this before? Am I brand new at this sport? Am I terrible at this? Like it really gets in your head. So you've got to be very mentally strong. And plus, like as you experience, Scott, sometimes you get a bad bounce. You guys lost a match. On a terrible third game, what was it, 12 to 10 bounce on a serve that literally did not come up. It just rolled. The guy served the ball. You're in this crazy tense back and forth match. It might've been the match I just talked about with the 10 and that serve didn't pop up. It just rolled. And it's all of a sudden like, really, this is how it's going to go. So that was a a big disappointment, I think for you. And sometimes you just get the ball bounces the wrong way for you.
0: Yeah, that was a disappointing end to a really great match. I was a little upset about that. They were homeboys that I went up to them 15 minutes later and we hugged it out a little bit because... It's just a disappointing way to end the match and didn't didn't handle ourselves as friendly right at the end of the match as I would have liked, but we but we worked it out. I do want to kind of go to something that I talked about earlier that I think will be relevant to a lot of our listeners, is I'm time challenged. I'm uniquely time challenged in that I, I own a pickleball facility with my wife and I'm on the pickleball court every day. But ironically enough, I rarely get a chance to practice pickleball. I'm not playing pickleball. I don't get a chance to use one of our two ball machines nearly as much as I would like. But I've I've come to a recognition having had a successful NPL season last year with similar or less training, and then the successful tournament last weekend that, and some of you guys know that I have an endurance sport coaching background, and there's some nomenclature there that I think is highly relevant. And I've identified that my chronic training load is of greater value right now than my acute training load. I have not been recently drilling down and focusing heavily on tournament level pickleball, but I am on court daily. I am dinking. I'm dinking. I'm getting touches, I'm visualizing pickleball, I'm having to work through my brain to find simple ways to explain complicated ideas to a range of different players. So I feel like the mental imagery, the mental preparation, I'm getting daily exposure to that, even if I'm not getting a chance to play 5-0 pickleball nearly as frequently as some of my my opponents are. And I'll bet there's a whole lot of other people in the same boat. And you guys listen to our show, so that's one of the best times to be able to use some of this mental imagery, seeing yourself on court and doing whatever it takes while you're driving to and from work or to and from the courts to be able to accentuate your preparation for pickleball, even if you don't get 16 hours a week worth of of practice time in. Well, one thing
1: I'm going to do, Scott, proactively is Rafael Nadal wrote a great book called Rafa that I read years ago when I was really on the, the tournament scene in racquetball. And one of my strongest opponents, we battled and battled and battled, recommended it as a great mental game reinforcer. So I'm actually going to reread that now. And try to get those lessons in my head again, because I had a great coach once that said, look, you get two equal players on court and you've got amazing forehands and amazing backhand. And the shots you hit are pretty equal. You guys have a pretty equal game. Well, at that point, the game becomes 90% mental, but we rarely work on that mental game. We're just working on the shots. Which are already pretty good. They're already better than most. They're already as good as your competition. So the mental game is the thing that you really have to work on. So this is where like that sports performance coach comes in. It's where good books on on mental toughness come in. So that's what I'm gonna be focusing on, I think, for the next month or two. I still have obviously chinks in the armor in terms of my game. I'm still working on some of the consistency that I like to, you know, reinforce. But in the grand scheme of things, I've got a pretty well-rounded game that's that's decent. It's a four five plus type game. I think having looked at the games were being played this weekend, I was like, yeah, I can hang with some of that. When you get to the upper, upper echelon, which is where you were in singles and doubles, Scott, I definitely saw a different gear, but I'm like easily mid-pack in this group, if not a little better. I just have to get my mind together to make it happen, I think.
0: And, and I think your experience from this tournament moves you in that direction. You've I- identified mental areas, physical areas, defensive strategies that will put you in a better place for your next tournament so it was worth doing even if it took a couple of days for you to get there so
1: i would be remiss if i didn't mention you guys had an epic run in mixed doubles on friday scott and by the way coming off the couch and then playing at this very high level friday saturday and sunday had to be insanely taxing mentally and physically especially because singles was sunday and eventually, your body was like, "I'm not having any more of this." We can talk about that if you want to, but talk about your epic run on Friday with Molly, which was fantastic.
0: Yeah, we've mentioned Molly Carter on the show a couple of times before. She is one of the best women debuting on the Senior Pro Tour. She's still 49, but but able to finally join me and and play mixed. Props to her and Kim Kessner for taking silver in the women's doubles on Saturday. But yeah, after a year and a half, two years of having a ton of fun practicing and playing together for fun, we got to to lay some up for real on Friday and went four and two, took fourth in a 16-team field. We had a couple of great wins, a couple of tough losses. She's just such a pleasure to to play with. One of the things that, that I felt was to our benefit is we were able to adjust our game depending upon who we were playing against. And it's one of the things I've referenced on the show before is at the higher levels, we don't make strategic decisions in a vacuum. We have to identify who's standing next to us And what are the strengths and weaknesses of the players across the court from us? And Molly has a great power game, but she's also got a really nice soft game as well. And we needed to adjust course throughout the day. I shared with her that since she was newer to this level of tournament play, that starting right off when the referee asks us for a one or a two, or let's call it the coin toss, I want to take the serve. And I've joked about this on the show before about it, you know, kind of being a mental game that I play with the other guys. Like, you know, why does Scott want... Why does he want to take the serve? And I said, this is the ball I want to serve with. This ball is great. But Molly and I were deciding in advance of our matches that we either wanted to accentuate our power game or perhaps our soft game. And I wanted the right ball to help us with that. We were playing Duras. It was kind of cold for California, for sure. And a new Dura in that weather, it was going to be a power game. And if that's what we decided was going to be our best way to, to victory, we went with the new ball. And I kind of made a big deal about it that we really looked like veterans, savvy decision makers when we grabbed that ball. But there were other matches, particularly against Jen Dawson and John Hedberg, who are better at the power game than we are, that we took the serve and I made sure to choose the roughest ball in the quiver that the ref offered us so that Molly and I could spin the ball, play the soft game a little bit better, and just not be at the mercy of a new Dura off of Jen Dawson's Pro CanX. So it's one of those subtle things that a lot of our listeners probably haven't thought all that much of. If there's blinding sun or wind, then maybe you want to choose side. But absent of that, playing with the ball that you like better is one of the things that we may want to consider when we win the coin toss.
1: That's really interesting. That's all intentionality where you're really paying attention to even the smallest details because every point matters. You guys have been playing together for like a year and a half from what I remember. So you were very comfortable with each other on the court anyway. Did you find that the pressure of the tournament changed anything, or were you guys in the flow the whole time?
0: Here's a funny answer to that a little bit. Yeah, Molly is just a lovely personality and great player and easygoing, and I'd like to think she would say the same about me. We're nice guys on the court, but we have this funny little banter when we practice where I jokingly am a jerk to her, and I was like, I can't wait for us to get into a real tournament and adopt that and have the spectators on the sideline going, why why is he being such an ass to her out there well all of that went out the window <laughs> what's an example of that oh, almost molly you almost made that like oh. molly could you get that one over the net oh uh, molly right. you got like two inches off the ground for that lob like jump a little would you? you know, like that's our fun banter and practice and we couldn't wait to break it out in a tournament and maybe with the pressure, none of that happened. We were just very nice to each other, very pleasant with each other, very focused on strategy and supporting each other. So that little repartee we were, we were thinking we might bring out did not happen.
1: Well, let's wrap this show up with some tactical stuff. Talk about the serve a little bit in terms of tournament play like this?
0: Sure. Mostly thinking about my Singles Day, which as you mentioned was the last day. I'd already played I think 12 matches or something heading into Singles Day. I had only decided a few days before that I would play Singles for fun, which is not something I would normally say to myself. I'm a pre- pretty competitive guy, but I hadn't played Singles for real in 13 months. And I made the honest decision that I thought it would be fun even if I went 0-2. And I went in with low expectations and, and ended up getting the bronze. medal with some great matches, great wins, tough losses, for sure. I played against a guy, Morgan Shepard, I'd never seen before. He had just come off of a fairly convincing win over Matthias Johansson. And I was standing next to you, Michael, watching this match, and I'd like to think both you and I thought I had no chance. (laughs) They were both really good, (laughs) and I did not have the confidence that I should have had. As it turns out, I did win, but boy, they looked really good, and I had not prepared acutely for this level of play. I somehow went out to an 11-2 victory in Game 1. We switched sides, and you know this, but our listeners may be surprised to hear I lose 11-0. In game right. two And uh, it didn't bother me All that much but, You know there was a side That was better I was about to head over To the better side But once I got down Seven or eight It's not like I mailed it in But I was pretty focused on Alright let me just figure out What my strategy is going to be In game three And I had identified That Morgan was struggling Somewhat with my best serves And as our listeners know My best serve is higher than most Lots of top spin And it lands six inches From the baseline And in singles That's a pretty tough ball to return and approach the net on. And I exploited that heavily. In game two, especially toward the end when we were having side out after side out, 8-8, 9-9, 10-10. I ended up winning the game and the match 12-10. And I've looked back on some of the video and I had some big aggressive serves that landed really close to the baseline in the corner. And that was the difference. He had short returns. I was able to put the ball away. And yes, in singles, we want to take a few more chances with a deep aggressive serve because it's just more important in singles, but in doubles as well. I really feel like some of these new rules. Rules notwithstanding, And we'll find out how that shakes out for everybody but the PPA pros. It's the same USA Pickleball rules. But let's go for it. Let's practice. Michael, you've shared about the importance of breaking out the water bottles and, and the practice balls. And what a great example of your willingness to practice. You had eight balls and you'd hit eight balls and you'd walk over to the other side. (laughs) And he probably had to walk the water bottle back to the other side, but that's what it takes. And I happen to have a pickleball facility here. I don't get a chance to practice as much as I'd like, but I practice my serve a lot when I can. And I think that was the difference maker. In my singles win over Morgan, which was the highlight of my weekend. There is
1: something about that particular serve because we warmed up together for about 45 minutes before we both started playing singles. And it is a tough serve. It is a tough serve to return. I'm really hit or miss on it. Maybe like uh, I'm probably two out of 10 serving that particular serve. I think we should actually do a show. Just for that serve. I think that would be a really cool show. Because it is very different than, I think, what most people hit and what most people experience on the pickleball court. There's just something about the kick at the end of that. There's something with the short court. Although the courts there I think had plenty of room. It was pretty nice to play on courts that had pretty good depth behind the baseline. So you could handle some of that stuff. But yeah, man, as your buddy, I was watching that match on TV and I was so excited for you. And when you lost that second game 11 0, I said, All right, all right. His body has finally given up on him, his brain's done. And then you won the first point of the next game, and you were right back in it again. I said, Oh, cool. So that's kind of where the mental game I was speaking about before comes in. I'm so curious the hopelessness that might have been in your brain in the middle of game two and you had to have some imposter syndrome going oh you're you're done you're getting your ass kicked now Right? Or did you not have that? Did you always have this sort of constant belief?
0: Surprisingly so, no. I had no doubts. I would have said I give myself a 60% chance of still winning this match, even as I was going down 11-0 in Game 2. And somehow, and it's just funny to think this through myself, I was still having fun. Even getting beat 11-0, it was still kind of fun, which was the reason I decided to play singles, because singles for me and and for you is kind of fun. It's different than than doubles. It's hard, uh, and it's only... You, but I still gave myself better than 50-50 odds of winning the third game. Uh, which was a battle. And the game three was even more fun because I was winning winning points, winning rallies. And I was I was right there. And Paul Olin, who had won the other semifinal, came over to watch the end. And he knew he was going to take on whichever one of us won. And it was kind of fun to have him watching and getting a little concerned that I was playing well. And I want to tip my hat to him and to Matthias because, yes, you mentioned it was the end of my weekend. Same thing for those guys. They played a bunch of matches as well. My body did break down. I dove for a ball against Paul. I came up with a bloody knee, but also tweaked my hamstring a little bit. My whole body was breaking down for sure. Uh, I'd like to think that I'm a mentally strong player, but as Matias mentioned, just mentally and emotionally, a singles day with five, six, seven, eight matches is brutal. It is brutal. So I think Paul and Matthias were just stronger mentally and stronger physically, and they deserved to win the gold and the silver. And I settled for, but I, I, I was happy to to go home with the bronze and a few bucks. And I'm excited to line it up again at the U.S. Open and, and play singles again. It's fun. And I'm going for gold this time. Well, you certainly have the chops for it. Like he
1: said, the trained version of you would be very dangerous now because hopefully with a year of this show under your belt, you've got things distilled in your brain in a way that simplifies the game, which is what we hope to do for all of you guys. As we step on the court, the more reps we get, the easier that we can make these concepts stick in your mind as you step on the court with your partner or playing singles. Well, that's the whole point. That's the whole reason why we do this. And we want to thank every one of you for contributing to the got 250,000 downloads in our first year which is which is incredible as a guy who's been a professional podcaster now for 12 years that's a great first year man that that is really really good and we are both looking forward to the next year and how we can continue to deliver these concepts in a way that you guys uh, can break down and understand and share with your friends and all that kind of stuff. So thank you guys for listening.
0: Thank you, listeners. I really appreciate the reviews and it's super fun at some of these tournaments and events when the listeners come up and, and as they did this past weekend and shared some observations and takeaways from listening to the show. And we both really appreciate you. Thank you.
1: All right, guys, that's going to do it for today's episode. A bit of a longy, longer than I expected. But thank you so much again for listening and uh, we will see you guys next time. Go have some fun on the pickleball court.
0: Thank you for listening to 4.0 to Pro. For more tips, find us on Instagram at 4.0 to Pro. If you have a pickleball question, submit it at picklehelp.com. Now, get out there and dominate. But don't forget to have fun.